Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. I'm going to talk to you this morning, and I promise I'm not going to be a very long time, but I'm going to talk to you this morning, and the title of my message is where I'm going to end up, okay? So um, the title of my message is three infallible proofs that Jesus is alive, amen? And I believe, for me, I, I use this little outline, actually, when I'm talking to people about Jesus. I keep this in my mind, you know? It's good to know where you're going when you're talking to your non-Christian friends or people who may be searching for God. And uh, the little outline is simply this. He's alive in the heart of the individual. You are a living proof that Jesus is alive. Would you agree with me? Amen. Amen. He is alive in his church. The church, according to the word of God, is the most powerful force on the face of the planet. Amen. We're going to look at the scripture. And then finally, he is alive in his word. Because the Bible is a book that proves itself to be true. Amen. So, um, that's where we're going now. Before we get there, I want to talk about why the resurrection of Jesus is so important to us. I want to also talk about what the resurrection of Jesus is not, then briefly, and, and actually during that discourse, bring out what the resurrection of Jesus is and was, and how it's affected the whole of society forever, and then we're going to finish off with those three short um, proofs that Jesus is alive, amen? So, what, where I'm going is, and, and why I feel this message is so important is, and I'm always afraid of using superlatives, you know, because sometimes you say, there has never been a time in history. I'm always afraid of using things. I'm cautious of that because the church has been through all kinds of challenges. But I'm sure you would agree with me. There is a definite attack upon the Word of God, upon the Bible as the Word of God in the generation in which we live in. Would you agree? And we as believers in Christ, we need to know absolutely what it is the Bible says and what it is that we believe, that we truly believe. Amen? So, this one passage here, and, um, and out of this, what we start to see is that the resurrection of Christ is not an optional extra for the Christian faith. It is fundamental. Now, I've studied and enjoyed studying the Word of God for over 50 years in the UK, led churches, and you soon come to realize there are a lot of things that you may believe, but they're not fundamental. Amen? You know, um, I was just thinking about a few of the things. I just mentioned one of them. Why did David take five stones when he went out for Goliath? A lot of people believe that Goliath had five brothers. But you know, whether you believe Goliath had five brothers, or whether you believe that David was just hedging his options, that, you know, if the first one didn't get him, then, and, we, and if that was the case, we would have been preaching David and Goliath as a message of persistence. Amen? Of, of persistence. But the truth is, you know, it, it doesn't really matter one way or the other as far as our salvation and the fundamentals of what we believe uh, is concerned. But this is what the Bible says when it comes, and this is what the Apostle Paul said about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ 
has not been raised from the dead. Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now how many of you know that is a powerful statement concerning the resurrection of Christ? This was in response to some people that were actually starting to say that the resurrection of Christ is not an essential part of their faith. In fact, if you read the passage in context, it says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, then we are then found to be false witnesses of God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But, if he, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then for those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. In, only, in other words, if, if all we have is what Christ did in this life when he was on this earth, we have all people most to be pitied. And then he goes on to say, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. Amen? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, there's not many times I kind of option into the message translation, or I would call it the message paraphrase, but I must admit, I really did like it when I read this passage of Scripture. This is what the translation says. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted in the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there is no living Christ. And face it, if there's no living Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors, and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling lies about God. All of these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised Christ up, sheer fabrication, if there is no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering around in the dark, as lost as ever. And even worse, those who died hoping in Christ and the resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is, everybody say after me, the truth is. The truth is that Christ has been raised from the dead. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries and experience eternal life. Amen. How many, of you, how many of you are glad this morning that the Bible says that Jesus is the first of those who will be raised from the dead forever and forever? Because you know, friends, that includes me. Amen? That includes me. I'm kind of, you know, there comes a point in your life, doesn't there? And most of us here this morning, you get to that point in your life where you realize there's less years left than the years that you've left behind, amen? And you start to talk to the family about, you know, I'm, near, I'm 70 year old in a few weeks' time, and you start to talk about what things are going to be like, 
and how the family will be when I go to be with the Lord. Because I'm going to be with the Lord. Amen? Yeah, that's a fact of life. And I tell you, friends, this is when these scriptures start to come alive in your heart. That you realize you have an assurance in Christ that other people do not have. Professor Josh McDowell, a graduate of Wheaton College, lecturing in more than 500 universities in 52 countries, in five years he spoke to more than three and a half million students. He set out to write a book disproving the resurrection. This is what he said. After more than 700 hours of studying this subject, thoroughly investigating its foundations, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted on the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. I now believe that it is the latter, the most astounding fact in human history. Jesus had three basic credentials which I have fully researched. The impact of his life upon history, fulfilled prophecy concerning his coming, his death, and his resurrection, the historical proof of his resurrection. All of these stand the test of my research. I read another book which I came across in a, a second-hand shop, and um, it, was, it, it was quite... Um, See if I can, where am I? Even more astonishing as I read it, because it was written by an English barrister called Frank Morrison. And Frank Morrison set out in the 50s, again, to disprove the resurrection, but from a legal standpoint. He was convinced he could, he could look at the legal argument concerning the resurrection of Christ. And after his research, he wrote a book called The Book That Refused to Be Written. And this is what he said. How can we fly in the face of all the cumulative and mutually corroborative evidence that Jesus actually must have been risen from the dead? Personally, I now do not think we can. And uh, he goes on to say, the sequence of historical coincidences is far too strong for this to be a lie. Isn't that amazing, friends? Here you have some of the greatest legal minds setting out to disprove who actually come to find the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves in trying to disprove the reality of the res resurrection. So before we come to what the resurrection of Christ is, I want us to nail once and for all, because I, you know most of my time now I spend with non-Christians or I would say people who are either open to God and some who are searching for God. Nearly all my friends now, and for 47 years I was leading churches in the UK. That was hard work. I didn't have a lot of time to, um, to have a non-Christian circle of influence. How many of you know, those of you who have been involved in ministry? But in coming to Spain, all of a sudden now, because I'm not leading a church, and I only just occasionally open the Bible in different churches... I have a lot of time to spend with non-Christian people. I'm a hobbies person, amen? Are there hobbies people out there this morning? Just let me see. Uh, any people who like painting? One or two, yes. Any people like, like golfing? 
Ooh, even more. Um, any people like a bit of cycling? Do you like a bit of cycling? Walking, you know, and, um, and of late, I took up the hobby of seniors. I hasten, uh, you, you need to know the full title, okay? Seniors doubles tennis, okay? Seniors double tennis. Now, seniors double tennis is not like singles young person tennis, amen? Singles young person tennis People of my age have heart attacks and go to be with Jesus. But, you know, seniors double tennis, you just look after this little bit down here, and he looks after that little bit, and the ball comes over quite soft, and it's really good fun. And you get a little bit of a, a, little bit of a run around, you know what I mean? So I took it up about four years ago, and I, I've developed a lot of friendship. Afterwards, we'll sit down, have a bit of friendship together, and I'm amazed at the amount of conversations that I've had about my faith. Because I'm not, you know, I make it clear to everybody, I am a person of faith. I believe in God. I believe I have a relationship with God. I do everything I can to conduct myself in a manner of somebody who knows the Lord Jesus. That is not always easy, by the way, especially when you're playing tennis with people who are half blind and don't know where the lines are. <laughs> Amen? So, um, so there we go. And I'm amazed, you know, we've even got to talking about, uh, about the resurrection of Jesus. And this was actually last year when we were around and, and, and years previous. And um, I came to realize that people have a lot of views concerning what happened at the resurrection of Jesus. So I've just put this down so that you can know clearly what the resurrection of Jesus is not and was not. Number one, Jesus was not a resuscitated corpse. Now, what do I mean by that? Was Jesus raised to life the same way, say, as Lazarus was in the Bible? Jesus resurrected in the same way that many people have who um, have been who have come back to life some who have been prayed for when I started out my ministry in um, in Coventry in the in the West Midlands I um, I in the East Midlands rather I I met a guy a church army officer who had died and who his um, mother had prayed for, and he owned his own death certificate. He had his own death certificate, ladies and gentlemen. And this man came back to life on the coroner's slab. And the nurse in the, 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 in the coroner's area where people were dead, she fainted when she saw him. And, and he, he used to go around and talk about uh, his experiences. And, and you know as well as I do, as we read, there are all kinds of situations, which is perfectly right, where people have come back from the dead. Many have been raised from the dead. But all of them have been raised to die again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They have all been raised to die. But Jesus rose from the grave to conquer death. Forever and forever. Lazarus was raised by Jesus to die again. Lazarus was a man who was in sin. 
and by the grace of God and the authority invested in Christ, he could call him back from the grave. Jesus lived a sinless life, a sinless life, and the grave could not hold him because he was the perfect, one and only, incarnated son of the living God. Amen? Jesus was not a resuscitated corpse. Number two, Jesus was not a surviving influence. You see, I'm amazed at how many people in society actually believe, yes, Jesus is alive, but you know, he's alive in the same way that lots of people have left their mark upon this world. In fact, Paul deals with this, doesn't he, in the reading that we've read out. If all we have from Jesus is an example for a brief short period of time he said we are of all people most miserable and 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 Jesus was not a surviving influence if you sometimes go to football stadiums you will see um, stands with thousands of people in them and and you'll have a person who's been named after that stand the stand rather has been named after them if you go to the city ground in Nottingham you will see the Brian Clough stand. If you go to Old Trafford, you will actually see a seat where nobody can sit, where Sir Matt Busby used to sit, and nobody's allowed to, to sit there. And if you read on the wall concerning that, they will say, they will never die. What they mean by that is their influence on that club, thousands of people, will be lost, long-lasting after they have died. But Jesus was more than a surviving influence. Amen? Yes, he was. Number three, and this is quite, I, I had a really good conversation with a man who had been involved in spiritism. He got drawn into it, and um, we started talking about Jesus and who Jesus was. And I put this down. Jesus is not simply a resuscitated spirit. Now, you'll be amazed at how many people in society who've been involved in some kind of spiritism, some kind of occultic activity, they actually believe that Jesus did not rise in bodily form. Yes? They believe that he was, he was simply a resuscitated spirit. But the Bible teaches that Jesus had to rise bodily, physically from the dead so that he could be the first of all of those who love God to rise from the dead. You can say amen now. Amen. The first of many people. Why, ladies and gentlemen? The first of many people. The, not of influences. Not of resuscitated corpses. Not of disembodied spirits. But the first of people created for eternity. Amen? People created for eternity. People who will feel. People who will love. People who will relate. People to live and experience real life forever and forever. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what we believe concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my blessed hope. Amen. This is, and the older I get, the more important these, the more important these truths are. Hallelujah. So these finally, 
as we kind of bring this to a conclusion, and my three, I use the word infallible. You can put absolute. You can just leave it as proves that Jesus is alive. Number one, he is alive in the heart of the individual. He is alive in the hearts and the experiences of those who know and love him. The Apostle Paul, for those of you who know the Bible, and you know, if you're here as a visitor this morning, we do want to welcome you. And, um, you know, we all, I also want to say that if anything I've said this morning you would like some clarification on, then please come and talk to me at the end of the meeting or pastor or any of the leaders or maybe the Christians who have brought you. Or even if you're searching for God this morning. And, and you know, oftentimes when I've used this little outline, it's an opportunity not only to put what I believe, but for people to challenge what I believe. And so again, if you're searching for God or if you're, um, or, or if you're here as a guest and anything I say, you say, yes, Clyde, but, but, oh, but you know, that's the opportunity to come and talk to somebody and we can reason together concerning these things. The Apostle Paul is on his way to persecute the church. He does not believe at this point in time that Jesus is the Messiah. And you know that on the Damascus Road, he has an encounter with God. I'm not going to go into detail, but you know, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, this is what he says to Timothy. He says, this is why I'm suffering here in prison. I am not ashamed for it, for I know the one in whom I trust. You see, friends, there is something awesome when a person walks into the room who knows that they know that they know that they have met with the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that their life has been transformed by God. You know, I, I have a lot of discussion these days with people of all kinds of theological views. And as I said, there is a great attack on the word of God right now. And I've even heard pastors of churches question their relationship with God. I know this sounds amazing. They, they question and they say, Clyde, but if this is true, then all these people are going to a crisis eternity. If this is true, then, then what about this and what about that and what about the other? And I heard one guy say to me once in a, in a conversation, if this is true, then you know, I actually wonder whether or not I'm actually a believer in Christ. Now listen, friends, you need to know that your relationship with God, my relationship with God on the basis of what the Bible has said is foundational to everything. I can look those people in the eye. I can discuss doctrine with people knowing that I know that I know that whether I've got one or two things wrong in the Bible, one thing I have not got wrong is what's going on in my spirit. Can I hear an amen? One thing I know I have not got wrong is that I know I met him one year at a Christian conference where I had not gone there because it was Christian. I had gone there, you know, because somebody told me 
that all the, the, can I say this, all the pretty ladies went to this Christian conference, and uh, where, which is one of those things I had a vested interest in, Pastor, in those days. And so I trotted along to the conference, you know, look, looking for a girlfriend. I didn't go to any meetings. I was the rebel, ladies and gentlemen, in my family. Some of you may not, well, some of you know me do know this, but others who don't, I can tell you now, at one point in time, between 44 and 47 of my relatives were all pastors in the ministry working for God. I was the rebel in that environment, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you, you, you become a real rebel when 47 of your relatives are all pastors in a particular, in a particular fellowship. Because... For me, you see, church was not exciting. As a young lad growing up as a musician, wanting to be a professional musician, you know, the music didn't excite me. The, the, I was uneducated and dyslexic, so I didn't understand the ministry that was being taught. And, and, and for me, there, there was nothing exciting about it. And so I didn't want anything to do with church and let me tell you this, friends, most of the problems that people have who don't know Lord Jesus Christ, it's not their problem with God that they have, it's their problem with their image of the church. It's what they think about the church. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there now because it's a separate message, but you and I have got to change the image of the church. Amen. You and I have got to change the image of the... That's part of talking to people about Jesus. Because their preconceived ideas concerning the church are not true. It's not the church of, of Jesus Christ. And, and so I met a young lady. And, you know, I messed about for the whole week. Never went to the meetings. And very soon this young lass, she realized I was not a Christian. And she, she finished with me, Okay. It was worse than that, ladies and gentlemen. It was entirely on my own. Okay, I know some of you girls find that hard to believe. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, mean, I, wish, I wish I hadn't said that, Pastor. Anyway, the, uh, anyway, I'm on my own, and I'm wandering around this holiday camp, okay? Wondering what to do, you know? I've got no non-Christian friends to go down the pub with, and I'm just wandering around. I thought, oh, I may as well go in here and sit at the back, because there's free coffee after the meeting at the back of the meeting. And I sat at the back of this, this, this meeting. And an old gospel preacher named Benny Finch got up to preach. And, and very unusually, because this is a Christian conference where people go to study the Bible. He preached a straight down the line gospel message. And ladies and gentlemen, something happened. In my spirit that changed me forever. He said to me, if you, if you can believe, and I know now, amen, because I believe in the sovereignty of God. <laughs> I know this is all him. Amen. I know he ignited something. He ignited a flame in my heart that nothing will ever put out. Amen. He ignited something in my spirit, and I stood up and said, Jesus, all I know is I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you, O oh God, to help me to live. These were the words I spoke. 
I ask you to help me to live the kind of life that you want me to live. It's not going to be easy, Lord. And in that moment of time, my physical experience in the spirit was I felt totally cocooned in the love of God. I walked out of that meeting and I knew that my life was changed. Some of you may know Pastor Roy Davis, who used to pastor down the road from here for um, nearly 10 years. Roy and Roy knew that I was a rebel, okay? I'm the rebel in the family. When I came out of that meeting and I'm walking down the road, <laughs> and I, I, met, I met Roy and Wendy, and um, I said, Roy, I'm saved. I've committed my life to the Lord. Do you know what encouraging words he says? He said, um, well, we'll see. <laughs> you see, even, even when I came into ministry, ladies and gentlemen, I was such a rebel in the church. When I came into ministry, one of my former pastors, this is not my ordination, right? And one of my former pastors pulled me aside and I'm, I'm in the ministry now, ladies and gentlemen. I've been to college. I've studied. I've, you know, I, I've, I mean, I'm ready to lead a church. And he pulled me to one side and he said, are you really saved? <laughs> I said, Pastor Whitaker, I really am saved, you know. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, like the Apostle Paul, he said, for I know in, the, in whom I have trusted. I know him. This is not a theory for me. I know him. This is not something I have learned from my studying the Lord of God. I know him. And now I only live, Philippians 1.21, I only live for Christ now. And dying, well, that's even better because either way, I can't lose. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what it means to be born again of the Spirit of God. Amen. Number, I could give you one or two other scriptures, but for the sake of time, he is alive in his church, number two. As I've mentioned, most of the problems that people have, I think, and the people that I've talked to um, in society, it's not a problem with God. It's a problem with church. It's their image. It's their it's their. It's the image of what they think a person who knows God and who goes to church is like. And, and you know, the Bible teaches that the church of Jesus Christ is just an absolutely awesome place to be. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Philippians 3, 20, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Now, listen to the superlatives, these enormous statements that Paul is making. Listen to the superlatives. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Amen? Immeasurably more. His power at work in us. To him be glory. Where? In the church. Amen? In the church. The church, ladies and gentlemen, and I learned this early in my ministry, 
The church is an awesome place to be. We, if I can put this the right way, we need to brag on our churches. We need to tell people how wonderful our church is. One of my key phrases in talking to people, you know, they'll say, because nearly every time when people, people from the West in particular, when they, when they want to know whether you're a spiritual person or not, whether you're a believer or, or not, they'll say these words. They'll say, I, are you religious, Clyde? You know what I mean? Now, whatever you do, and I'm really recommending that you do this, don't get into the difference between being religious and being in a relationship with God. Just say yes, because all they mean when they say that is, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Are you religious, Clyde? Yes. And one of the great things that you can say to them is, are you religious, David? You'll be amazing. You'll be amazed at how that opens up conversation for you talking to people about the Lord. Oftentimes people will say, are you religious, David? They'll say things, well, you know, I think I could be. I think I could be. I think I was. And all of a sudden you're talking about this man who used to go to church. I, hear, I don't know why I'm saying that because, because I really feel that God wants to, to maybe ignite something in people's hearts this morning for sharing their faith. Because, because it's so important for us as believers, amen? And, um, and, and so Paul, if you carry on here, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can all ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, now this wasn't just the early church, for all generations, immeasurably more in the church, in Christ Jesus for all generations. Amen. When I um, had trained for the ministry in um, Assemblies of God, where I was at that time, I became a part of a, of a scheme called Home Missions. And Home Missions was a, a kind of a department of the church to, that was used to plant churches. I, you know, I, you, you've got to understand I was totally uneducated. Now, as the, one of the professors, when I went back to college, said to me, you know, because he used to say to me, you know, Clyde, you underestimate yourself. And I said, oh, I'm stupid, me. Uh, his name was Mr. Hodgson. I'm stupid, Mr. Hodgson, you know. I know that, you know. He said, listen, and he said, listen, Sandry. You know how professors talk to you. Listen, Sandry. You, what did he say now? He said, you are not stupid. You are simply uneducated. And I am going to educate you. And he took this guy, and actually those words, words are life. You know what I mean? Words are spirit. Amen? Those words actually were sown in me. And actually I became very successful in college. But still, I was not grounded with a great education when I came into the ministry. And, and so the home missions department dropped me in a little town in Styleport on Seven. And he said, you're, they said, you're going to plant a church here. And I said, okay, okay. And they said, now, this is your parish, okay? Now, in my heart, I dare not say to him, what is a parish? <laughs> That's how ignorant I was, okay? But we started a little church, 
with nothing. There was another couple there who I have to honor, Alan and Ruth Silver, who became very good friends. And he was my co-pastor and support. And, uh, and we were meeting in his house. And we'd only just started. It was one, you know, this is Pioneer Church. And in Pioneer Church, oftentimes, you've got to do everything. I'm, I'm helping with a couple now in Hondon Valley, you know. And, and the pastor's working the overhead projector, you know. And I'm running around taking the offering and preaching and all that sort of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's what it's like in, in a Pioneer Church. And one day, um, there's a couple in our church who had just recently committed their lives to the Lord. And they came in, and uh, she came in on her own. And she was in tears, and her name was Pat. Her husband was Frank. And I said, love, why are you crying? She said, Frank has been diagnosed with cancer. And he has a very short time to live. And he's going up to the cancer infirmary, cancer um, department in Birmingham and in actual fact can any of you remember the TV series Crossroads there was a guy in a wheelchair there Sandy and he had cancer and he was going to the same infirmary okay and um, so quite simply we just read the Bible concerning the church we held our hands together and we claimed the promises of the Word of God concerning healing Ladies and gentlemen, this guy went back and had another scan, and his cancer was completely eradicated. Completely. And as a young man, I started to understand the potential for the power of God in the church. When we start to understand that when we come to church, this isn't just to meet people that we're in fellowship with. This isn't just to have a good time together. This isn't a deal, you know, we're not here because we feel a part of things. We're not here because we fit in. Amen? We're not, we're not here, you know, for any other reason other than God has placed us here. Amen? God has placed us here to inspire one another and encourage one another to be a force for the kingdom of God. Finally, and very, very quickly, he's alive in his word. What makes the Bible special? We could, we, could, we could say many things, but you know, friends, for me, one of the things that makes the Bible so special is the Bible is a book that proves itself to be true. The Bible is a book that proves... When people start talking to me about the Bible, I have, you know, I, I don't mind saying to them, I don't understand that. They'll say, well, what about this? You know, what about slavery? What about the Old Testament? What about this? What about... I said, I don't have answers to all of that. In fact, the Bible tells me I'm not going to have all the answers this side of heaven, that there's going to be lots of things that I will look like in a dirty mirror. I won't understand them until... But when I, when I stand before him, I will know as I am known by him. On that day... I will have the answers. Now, I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you something else. The Bible is a book that proves itself to be true. And I start to tell them about what the Lord has done in my life, you know. And, and, and once they start to realize that this is not just a religion, this is a living experience. 
And I would encourage you to, you know, I would encourage you to look at your life, at the circumstances and situations in your life where you can point back and you can say, that has to be God. How many of you have got situations in your life that you can say to me, Clyde, that had to be God? Amen? Yeah, hands up all over the place. That had to be God. I can look back on those situations and know that had to be God. And listen to me. The Bible says, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I have proven he is alive in his word. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have proven he is alive in his word. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. I have proven that he is alive in his word. You shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I have proven he's alive in his word. Never be afraid of the word of God. Never, you know, never get defensive concerning the Bible. Don't try and prove everything that you don't understand for yourself. Put your hands up. You know, the Bible says the wisdom that comes from above is easy to be entreated. In other words, it doesn't say, I'm right. I'm telling you I'm right. I know I'm right. And even when I think I'm wrong, I still am right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's not a Christian. We're easy to be entreated. You know, concerning certain things in the Word of God, we're absolute. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Amen. As Pastor has said, as he's led us this morning, all of those things are so fundamental. Amen. Because Jesus is alive in his word. Amen. Let's just bow in prayer, shall we, just for a moment. The Bible says, if you confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you've come to church this morning and you're a guest, I want you to know you made a good choice to come to church this morning. I want you also to know that you are genuinely loved and respected in this place. No one is ever going to try and manipulate you into doing anything that you don't want to do. But if you sense in your heart that God is drawing you closer to himself this morning, then I want you to just have the courage to take another step. I sense in my heart that I, I, I should leave this meeting in your hands. Be easy for me to say, I want you to put up your hand. But I'm trying to be sensitive to God this morning. And I believe that God wants you to take that step for yourself. So if you've come here today and you say, Clyde, I'm looking for answers. I know there's something in this. I know you're not telling lies. I sense in my spirit you're a genuine man. Then come and talk to us at the end of the meeting. Talk to pastor. Talk to the person who brought you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to open up. And I just want to say to one other group of people, which is in my heart, you could be here and you once ran well with God. In other words, your relationship with God was very strong. 
But right now you feel very distanced from God. I want to give you the opportunity to come back to God. I want you to know God has never stopped loving you. No matter what you've done, there's nothing. It's a Clyde, if only you knew where I'd be. Listen. There is no sin. There is no failing that is greater than the power of Christ through the cross to forgive you of that sin. I say that on the basis of the word of God. And I want to challenge you this morning. If you want to come back to God, this is a great opportunity. Resurrection morning. Resurrection morning. Say, Father, I recommit my life to you. I ask you from this day forward to live the kind of life. Help me to live the kind of life that you would have me to live. And friends, if you're struggling in a particular area, say, Clyde, there's a weakness. I've allowed, you know, I've allowed the enemy to create a stronghold in my life. Well, we're here to support you. We're here to help you. No one here wants to expose the things that you've done wrong. You can talk confidentially to people in leadership, and we will do everything that we can to help you to get back on track. And you need to know, you can walk away from here cleansed by the work of the cross, the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.